Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. Welcome, and thank you for joining us again online this Sunday. Today we continue our summer series where we are looking at the theme of strengthening ourselves in the Lord. That as followers of Christ, I, we, us make a choice to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. That we will seek Him. We will spend time with Him. We will implement routines and practices and disciplines to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us and to develop in us ways of responding and thinking that are godly and then allowing it to take root and have a firm foundation in our very beings. We began by looking at King David when he found himself in a desperate, life-threatening situation at Adelam's cave. Last week, we touched and looked at the whole area of the power of a thankful heart. Gratitude and thankfulness are transformational, both at everyday level and at the major issues of life. They strengthen and build us up at the very core of who we are in Christ, strengthening ourselves for the battle, enabling us to take our eyes off ourselves, our sense of entitlement, me, and fixes our attention on him, the giver of all good things. Today, our theme is when faith is under fire. For those of us of a certain age, of a certain vintage, the name Terry Waite will bring back memories flooding of a time, of a dark time, I should say, really, in the 90s and 80, 1980s and 1990s. A time when hostages were seized by various Middle Eastern factions and held captive for years, with no one knowing whether they were alive or dead. Other names that come to mind include Jill Morrell, John McCartney and Brian Keenan, all big players in that time. For those to whom this is new, let me explain. Terry Waite was the peace envoy for the then Archbishop of Canterbury, in many ways the forerunner of Canon Andrew White. In 1987, he, Terry Waite, went to Lebanon on a peace mission to free hostages held by Hezbollah. However, one of his closest contacts betrayed him and he was taken hostage himself and spent nearly four and a half years in solitary confinement and a further six months imprisoned in the company of other hostages. He was held for not much short of 1,800 days, subjected to torture and often mock execution. He said, I was in a dark room. I had no books, no papers, and I wondered if I was going to be beheaded or shot. He received news through the wall of his cell, by the wall being tapped by fellow prisoners, and he was eventually released in 1991. He has spoken about what he endured and how he survived his captivities on a number of occasions. But in one of the last broadcasts, he was asked, how did his faith help him in the darkest of the prison cell? How did his faith in God help coming through? And this is what Terry Waite said. He said, if I can put it very, very simply, and this may seem too simple for some, I could say this in the face of my captors, you have the power to break my body and you have tried. You have the power to bend my mind and you have tried. But my soul is not yours to possess. 
there was that essential belief that my soul lies in the hands of God and could not be taken by others, he said. Then he adds, we can argue until the cows come home and people have done across the generations about what is the soul. For me, it is the sum total of me, my, identi my identity, my essential being, which lies in the hands of God and could not be taken by others. And this very simple belief was enough to enable me to retain hope. He goes on, if anyone is listening to this in a situation of real unpleasantness, difficulty, sickness or whatever, realize that you are not going to be destroyed. If you face suffering, it will be very difficult. There may be no relief for, from that suffering, but if you can have hope behind it, you will not be destroyed. Later in the same interview, Terry Waite was asked what lessons that he had learned in captivity. And he cited the four following things. First of all, to keep a trusting nature, even when it is abused. It was a close friend of his in the Middle East that betrayed him to Hezbollah. Secondly, suffering does not need to destroy you. Thirdly, keep a few simple goals in your life and don't be put off when things go wrong. And he says, fourthly, if you have faith, you will not be destroyed, even if the answers you are given by God are not what you expected. Just recommend his book, Taken on Trust, by Terry Waite himself. What do we do when we don't know what to do? Most of us, if not all of us, will not face a hostage situation like Terry Waite. But all of us, one time or another, will come face to face with a situation or situations that we don't want to deal with. You might be there right now. It might be a personal, like the death of a family member, or an illness, or a life-changing health condition that is affecting your homes and your family. It might be an act of betrayal, a rebellious child, or parents even, who are overreaching into your life and your family that is making your life and relationships with them incredibly toxic. It may be deeply personal that you are too scared to share with anyone, but it is still playing in your mind over and over on repeat 24-7. It may be an unexpected no in our lives or redundancy or a financial challenge. What do we do when we don't know what to do? I find Terry Waite's four observations incredibly sightful having only come to them and appreciated them over the last few years. His insightfulness has been incredibly helpful to me. I would describe what he has written as choosing faithfulness and choosing hopefulness in all situations. As he says, keep a trusting nature when it is abused. Suffering does not need to destroy you. Keep a few simple goals in your life. And fourthly, if you have faith, you will not be destroyed, even if the answers you are given by God are not what you expect. I am sure that many of us are and will face situations that we will find incredibly challenged, and we must choose hopefulness. And this builds really on the foundation that we laid last week. Hopefulness added to thankfulness and gratitude gives that, that firm undergirding. So today I want to take a few moments to look at the life of the Apostle Paul. He was one of the most significant figures in the early church, perhaps, if not all Christianity outside of Jesus. 
He was converted from militant Judaism after a direct encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to persecute Christians when Jesus appeared to him, challenged and called him to follow him, and he did. He was one of the great leaders of the church. He made three or maybe four great missionary journeys across the Mediterranean, telling both Jews and Gentiles about Jesus Christ. Everywhere he went, he faced situations that he would not have chosen. He faced uncertainty and he faced danger. He went in the first century and traveling was completely different to what it is now when we can again. But he went to Cyprus, Turkey, Greece, Crete, Malta, Syria, (coughs) Macedonia, and many other places, and of course to Rome, where he was eventually put to death in 60s AD, probably in the late 60s AD. Almost everything, he, everywhere he went, he faced opposition and difficulties. In Antioch, he challenged the Jews and Gentiles about who Jesus was. And we read these two portions in Acts 3. The next Sabbath, almost all the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and blaspheming. They contradicted what was spoken by Paul. Then a couple of verses later, but the Jews incited the devout woman of high standing and the leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of that region. So they shook the dust off their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. He moves on to Iconium, modern day Turkey. And the same thing happens again. In Lystra, the people tried to worship him, but they were attacked by an angry crowd. Acts 14 says, but Jews came there from Antioch and Iconium and won over the crowds and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples surrounded him, he got up and went into the city. The next day he went with Barnabas to Derbe. See, throughout his life, his work, in his ministry, he faced challenges. His life was complicated and difficult. Complicated and difficult lives are not just the prerogative of those of us who live in the 21st century. It is something that has affected humanity and those especially who follow Christ. Paul argued with leaders that they would have to part company. He wanted to go to Asia, but God stopped him. He was thrown in jail. He faced a riot in Thessalonica, was mocked in Athens, faced riots in Ephesus. And when he returned to Jerusalem in Acts 21, he was arrested never to know freedom again in his life. And he eventually dies in Rome. Yet through it all, he never lost his hopefulness. It comes through all his writings. What was it about Paul that allowed, enabled him to choose hopefulness? What caused him to choose this thing called hope? I just want to share with you three simple thoughts as we look at this subject. First of all, he learned to keep God's perspective. Not always easy, but he learned to keep God's perspective. No matter what his situation was, he did not look firstly through his own eyes. He looked through the lens of faith through the idea that God was present, through the idea that God was with him, through the idea that God was in control of his life, through the idea that God was not going to be caught by surprise with anything that was happening in his situation. 
Two passages from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 give us an incredible insight here. Again, we know them, but they're worth reading. It says here in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is too. But life is too. And then a few verses later, he says, So do not lose heart. Having said that, he says, Do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day for this slight momentary affliction. I love that. This slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure, because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. In other words, whatever he is going through, he does not simply look at it from natural circumstances, from himself, from his own perspective, me. He looks at it from a different perspective. He has God's perspective on it. As I said, it's not always easy, but that's something that we need to as it were, strengthen ourselves in, this, in the Lord. And see, for this reason, very little shakes him. No matter what happens, no, what hap- no matter what he goes through, nothing can really get to the core of who he, he is. He has something of a different perspective. 2 Corinthians then says, But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way through great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, but by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God were the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and in dishonor, in ill repute and good repute. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Something at the heart of this man meant that he could look at life, and no matter what it threw at him, he chose God's perspective. This must have been a choice he made, and it must have been an incredibly difficult choice to make, day in, day in, day out, week in, week out, as he goes through all the things that we have mentioned here. It comes back to what are we looking at? The practice, the decision to determine our response to strengthening us ourselves in the Lord is so crucial. There must have been times when Paul wanted to see life from his perspective, to get angry and cross with God and just to be annoyed with life in general, and say that, yes, I can't go on. However hard it may seem at times, this is one of the keys to hopefulness, choosing ourselves to see through God's eyes. Sometimes 
when we lose a loved one in Christ? Perhaps the answer is to see things slightly different without, of course, denying the heartache and the pain of the loss. Sometimes in such situations, we get focused on where our loved one is not, rather than remembering where our loved one is. Instead of not being here, remembering that they are with Christ. If we look at our lives, if we are owed something, then this shouldn't have happened to me, or I deserve better. Then we will see hopefulness disappear through our fingers, if that is our approach. <laughs> Many listening to this have had difficult lives with challenges, with difficult circumstances, difficult choices to make, difficult families and parents. But it is only if we focus on the grace, the mercy and the presence of God that we will be able to get through and come through. The grace of God will pull us up and pull us out and will pull us through. Whatever situation we find ourselves today, let us strengthen ourselves in faith and in him. Secondly, Paul, he followed where God led. We learn from Paul that wherever God led him, he followed. And this meant that Paul didn't always get his own way. This isn't something that we like or even want to hear, but it's true. It's incredibly countercultural. Being a follower of Christ often means not getting our own way. In Acts 16, Paul talks about going in one direction and being told by the Holy Spirit, no, you can't do that. It says these words, they went through the, the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come opposite Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia, pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross the Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to him. You see, in Romans 15, we read that Paul wanted to go to Spain. And many people, many people think that he did. But actually, this might only be simply folklore. For there is nothing explicit in the text of Scripture that proves without question, without doubt, that Paul got there. He allowed himself to be led and to walk with God. And this took him through some situations that I'm sure he would not have chosen for himself. He did not feel his plans for his life were superior to those of God. He reminds me of Abraham. And we read this of Abraham in Genesis 12, that he followed when God told him to. And he didn't tell him where he was going, and yet he still went. Scripture says this, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I am not sure that I could do this personally. And God just says, I want you to go to this place. I think I'd have to have more than that. It's just like God says to Abram, I am not telling you. It's probably beyond me at my state of my Christian walk. But Paul seems to have something of the same spirit of Abraham. Thomas Merton, a Trappist monk, writer, theologian, mystic, and much more, who was actually electrocuted and died just before his 50th birthday last century, wrote these words. 
You do not need to know precisely what is happening or exactly where it is all going. What you need is to recognize the possibilities and challenges offered by the present moment and to embrace them with courage and faith and with hope. Perhaps we would be more hopeful if we were willing to follow actually where God may be leading us <laughs> to take the risk to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit speaking to us and to believe that it was God saying to us. Sometimes that we just have to follow and we don't have the rationale or the reason or even the destination. Believing that he is speaking and prompting us, nudging and cajoling us in a certain direction to allow him to take us on a journey and that we're not certain of what is coming next or what is even around the corner, but knowing that he is around whatever corner that is. Being open to allow him to be in control of our lives more than actually we are. Thirdly, he trusted God to finish what he had started. See, when Paul wrote to the Philippians, he says a lot of things to them that are challenging and encouraging and moving. But he says this to them, I am convinced that God will finish the work that he has started. Then at the end of the letter, he says that I can do everything through Christ that strengthens me. He says, I can be poor, I can be weak, I can be wealthy, I can be strong. He had learned that God never abandons his promises. So my question to you today is, what has God promised us? What has he promised us over the years as followers of Jesus? God, I know, has said to me that he will finish what he has begun in me. He has promised that one day I will stand before his throne faultless. And I am so looking forward to that, knowing my own frailty and humanity. He has promised that I will never be abandoned, that he will never leave me or forsake me, that I will never be alone. And then there are things that he has promised me specifically that are still in my heart. I can choose to believe this or deny it. I can think and rationalize it away, or I can believe that he will finish and do what he has promised. But even if I believe, then I will build my life on it. If I believe, I will allow those things to shape everything that I want to do. Even if, humanly speaking, things look as if I'm going in the wrong direction, I'm going to choose to follow the promises of God in my life. G.K. Chesterton, the High Anglican, who became a Catholic order, author and priest, wrote these words. To love means loving the unlovable. To forgive means forgiving the unpardonable. Faith means believing the unbelievable. And hope means hoping when everything else seems hopeless. It is when we feel hope least that we need it the most. It is at this point that we exercise a faith muscle that causes something to rise in us. It is interesting that as we track with Paul, when he wrote to the Philippians, this is the city, the story is told in Acts 16, I think, where he was imprisoned, chained with shackles around his feet and with his friend Silas, not able to get out, hardly able to move. Everything goes wrong. And it is these people that he wrote to and says that God will finish what he has started. They would have remembered this. 
So these are not just easy words spoken by Paul. They are the reality and borne out in his life. They would have remembered that Paul was in jail. They would re have remembered that he was arrested and he was on the edge of losing his life when he came to them to share the gospel with them. We read in Acts 16 verse 25 where he is surrounded by the guards in the inner cell and about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. This is the perspective of a person who chooses hopefulness in a living God, who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not, hey Silas, how do we get out of here? No, we're all finished and gloom and doom. He chooses to pray and to praise. If you have ever studied literature and especially any philosophy, you may well have come across a French writer called Albert Camus. Camus was a philosopher, author and journalist said many, many interesting things. Just like to quote two of the many things that he wrote. First of all, he says, In the middle of winter, I have found in me an invincible summer. In the middle of winter, I have found an invincible summer. And secondly, he says these words, Blessed are the hearts that can bend, because they shall never be broken. For some, the last season or so has been like a winter. But many here today have discovered and rediscovered an invincible summer, and it is the hope of a resurrected Jesus. It is the hope of a resurrected Saviour. And many have felt their hearts bending in this season, but have not been broken, because God is good and his love endures forever. If we allow ourselves to keep perspective, to keep God's perspective, to trust him, to finish what he has started and make a choice to live a life of praise and gratitude, then dark situations in our life can be transformed. Just to recap those four things that Terry Waite said. It says, keep a trusting nature when all is abused. Suffering does not need to destroy us. Thirdly, keep a few simple goals in your life and do not be put off when things go wrong. And fourthly, if you have faith, you will not be destroyed, even if the answers you are given by God are not what you expect. My encouragement to us all, as we look to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, as we build patterns and routines that aid fortitude and resilience, is to reject self-pity, to reject that sense that all is not fear, though it shouldn't happen to me, to reject these things outright and to choose not to live in a comparative relationship with other people and to say instead that I will lift up my eyes to heaven, that life is not fair, bad things do happen to godly people, but God is good. So let's not allow ourselves to be shaped by the circumstances round and about us, or the loudest voices in our ear, ear or that of our culture. Even if we feel like hypocrites, let us choose hopefulness. Let's choose God's promises and his power and his grace. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us. Hope that you have a, a wonderful week ahead. Please join me as I pronounce the blessing of number six over us as a community of faith. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance towards you and give you his peace. Now may the love of God, the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the presence and the shalom of the Holy Spirit be with us this day and until he comes. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.